Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this truck. Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this truck. 7 a.m. Hello and welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordan Searles. And I'm Kyle Kalgren. And I gotta say, I'm really, really excited for the movie we're talking about today. I love Bong Joon Ho. That's not. I, the movie I, I that mean, we're it's doing. a great, I mean, it's a wonderful follow up to his first hit, Memories of Murder. I mm. mean, The Host. The Host is like um, one of the finer monster movies to come out of the 21st century, I must it's say. It's not, I, honey, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but that's not the movie that we're doing. It's not? No. Oh. Okay, that was weird. I was wondering why the movie that we watched wasn't in Korean. <laughs> no. uh, what did we watch? We watched The Host from 2013, directed by Andrew Nichol, who is known for making very boring sci-fi movies like Gattaca and Simone and In Time. <laughs> in Time, the movie where time is literally money. Well, yeah, that's 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 the currency. Yes. Where the trailer includes a clip of Justin Timberlake, who stars in the film, saying, "Ugh, fifteen minutes for a cup of coffee." It's that seem- Andrew Nichol. <laughs> so it seems like his best work is having a writing and producing credit on the Truman Show, which was clearly a fluke because. I don't know. Andrew Nichol clearly has like a good mind for screenwriting. He has works with high concepts well. I don't think he's very good at, you know, building a world or, you know, setting tone or directing actors. Yeah. Well, Um, I mean, I guess I guess that's what I mean. Like, you know, I feel like with this movie and with Gattaca on the page, it seems interesting. And then you I mean, I read a third of the host and I mean, on the page, it was not interesting. But I mean, in screenplay form, the host could be an interesting concept. It just wasn't executed that way. And this was both written and directed by Andrew Nichols. So obviously, I feel like he was not inspired by the material, which begs the question, uh, why do this? Yeah. uh, is Is the material that inspiring? No, but okay. So you get it. A lot of great movies are based on books that are, like, mediocre and bad. So I guess I just don't understand how he couldn't be, like, inspired by this, especially with, like, the very clear, like, it could be, like, Animorphs. They could have done it like Animorphs, like, with the Yerks and everything. Like, we had... (laughs) Like the TV show Animorphs? He could have stolen it. No, I mean, like, he could have, like... I don't know. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves. Um, what is the host? Who is the host? Okay, so the host is a 2013 film starring Saoirse Ronan based on Ste- the Stephanie Meyer novel of the same name. I know that name. Yes, she was the Twilight Lady. Oh, right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the book got released in 2008. I bought it because I was a Twilight fan and I read all the books. And this one I couldn't finish because the thing about Twilight is that it's very, um, there's something about it that makes you not want to put the book down. Like, you know, the way that it moves, the way that the story moves, the way that, like, we engage with the characters emotionally is all interesting enough 
to deal with the fact that it's not written super well. Um, although I do think that, like, as she goes on, Stephanie Meyer gets better at writing them, which is why I don't really get why people love the first book when the third book is the best book, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, well, the third book does have a plot. The, well, the I first mean, book is... Um, well, the second yeah. book has a plot, too, which a lot of people think the second book is the best because it was just like a... Which is just like whether or not Edward is going to like show himself in a public place and, and die. <laughs> Will Edward flash people and die? Will that's the plot. Ed- that's the plot of the second book. Yes. Um, so anyway, this is our review of the Twilight series. No. So I mean, you know, I mean, I feel like eventually we're gonna do the Twilight movies, not because. Uh, we hate them because I personally don't. I think that they're a great time, but because I just want to watch them again. Oh, the Twilight movies are high camp. They're just, they are fun. But this, I don't know what was going on with Stephanie here. I think that she wanted to kind of like venture out and do a different piece of work in what she came up with. It's, It's interesting because essentially it's a love triangle where like it's two souls (laughs) with inside one body and they're both into the same boy. But then also this one of the souls is also into another boy. So really it's like a love square. Like it's very complicated. It's a love, um, not a, not a love triangle. It's a love uh, quadrangle in which two points are collapsed, in which the line segments between points A and B are null. It's a line. It, it could. The geometry is weird. Yes, is what we're trying to say. Um, also, there are aliens. Yes. Yeah. So one of the souls is a sparkly alien because sparkle. Sparkly. So this, Stephanie Meyer sparkly. <laughs> so this book sold well, but nobody really liked it. So it is interesting that they made a movie of it, and they made a movie of it like years after anyone would care. Like this came out four years after the book was released, and by that point, really no one cared. Like they should have churned it out earlier. But but it did come out like at the height of Twimania. Or is it Twimania, Twilight Mania? Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, uh, yeah, I guess. So I guess what they were trying to do was like, okay, well, let's see what else Stephanie Meyer has. I mean, th- this was around the time. Oh, God, there were so many movies like this. There were the Twilight movies, but then there was uh, there was the City of Ember movie that was clearly supposed to create more. There was uh, uh, Mortal Instruments. There was... Eventually, there is Maze Runner. There is Divergent. Um, Part of that whole wave of young adult uh, big blockbuster fiction. And Saoirse Ronan was in another one, too. She was in um, How I Live Now, which was, like, definitely around that. Mm. I was about to say that was around that wave, but then I remembered there's also one called The Next Wave. <laughs> right. <laughs> or The Fifth Wave. The Fifth Wave. The fi- there were so many of them. We should We should do all of them and just really put ourselves through hell here but yes this is this is like right before Sersha of course like Sersha is is a fantastic actress and we all know that now Mm -hmm. but at the time of this movie she had done she had done Atonement which was like her big role and I that's when I knew she was perfect but then of course she did more of these kind of she did City of Ember which no one remembers and she did that very bad The Lovely Bones adaptation. Is that the Peter Jackson one? Yes, that's yes. the Peter Jackson one, yeah. 
and she had done Hannah, which is a big deal. Like, which people, oh, Hannah's great. Which people respect now, and like, there's a show. People on respected Am- it then. It just wasn't a big hit. No, uh, yeah, yeah, I still haven't seen it. It's so good. It's so good. Um, and yeah, she'd even done a Neil Jordan movie by this time, Byzantium, <laughs> the Neil Jordan movie that no one has seen. Um, <laughs> which is also which is about vampires. She yes. did a Neil Jordan <laughs> vampire. No one, and she did How I Live Now right after this. So you, I feel like she was doing the host in How I Live Now back to back, and it was just like... I'd imagine they're very similar. I have not seen How I Live Now, but they're both about, you know, post-apocalypse and surviving off the land and that sort of thing. Right, More right. or less. Yeah, yeah. And it's <clears throat> and then, thankfully, the next year she gets Grand Budapest Hotel, which, like, is a movie that I don't like and people get very upset about that. But this is the that's the kind of movie that kind of, like, legitimized her. It's like, let's put her all in the indie movies. Like, Grand Budapest Hotel did that. Oh, and she also starred in that Ryan Gosling movie, Lost River. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was she one of the... Yeah, is that the movie where it's like a club and people can... There's like a women in a bubble. There's that, yeah. That's also post... It's like post-apocalyptic Detroit. Yeah. Post-apocalyptic. So... Post-apocalyptic. Post-apocalyptic. Uh, so there are other people in this movie, apparently. Even though it's Arguably. very hard to tell because... <laughs> The two men, okay, one is played by an actor named Jack Abel, who was on Supernatural. He was in the Percy Jackson movie. He was in another one of those things. I I am number four, which I also, have I seen I am number four? I don't know. Jake Abel plays Jared. No, he plays Ian. I'm so sorry. So sorry. And then there is. They're really eased and confused. It's just one bunch of Bunch of CW-looking white guys just running around in the desert in dumpy clothes. Well, the other one is Max Irons, which is Jeremy Irons' son, um, who plays Jared. So ah. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's... Uh, he also looks generic. He really does. I mean, how are you Jeremy Irons' son and then have, like, a boring-looking face? It's very... <laughs> it's very yes, how dare he? to me personally. How dare he? Um... And have, like, a boring-looking screen presence, too. Oh, my God, he was in Red Riding Hood. Remember when we did that episode? Did we? Max Irons was in Red Riding Hood. Yes, we did. Oh, right, That was a yeah. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was, that was an episode that we had sound issues on, so it's like you can only really listen to it on Patreon, and if you enjoy listening to something annoying, maybe we should redo Red Riding Hood. Oh, is that the one with Amanda Seyfried? Yes, like, it yeah. is. That was also around the Twilight Times, and it was also directed by Catherine Hardwick, who directed the first Twilight movie. Yeah, that's the thing about big Hollywood hits. Everyone tries to imitate them, and then you just get this whole wave of, you know, weird aftershocks of bigger pop cultural moments like like this kind of movies because like we have like diane kruger here who is clearly playing um the kind of let me see did divergent come before or the first divergent movie divergent came the year after the year after this which is so interesting because the diane kruger character here moves around and is dressed exactly like the kate winslet character in divergent i haven't seen divergent that's why i thought that they um, copied i thought that it was a copy but she did it first i guess so i haven't seen divergent what does kate winslet do in the divergent movies i don't know like if i i barely remember them she's like 
I mean, the whole thing about Divergent is that, like, you are you have one defining quality, and you have to stay with other people oh, with she that like defining the, quality. Oh, okay. So... She's, like, trying to keep everybody in their right segregated stations. Okay, right. She's, so she is the enforcer of the new post-apocalyptic order. She is the... Um, person the antagonist and also the exposition for this is how the world is now not like the before times yeah and that's what Um, diane kruger is doing here too because it's like this is a film about how there are these aliens and they come to all different planets and they they take over the bodies of everyone there and then they create a peaceful egalitarian society because they don't trust people on planets to do that themselves. Yes. So they essentially colonize our bodies and then just turn our eyes bright blue and then they make everything nice. They've abolished capitalism. Uh, they dress in all white. They chrome plated all their own cars and they repainted all the stores to say store. <laughs> okay. This is Kyle. Kyle's freaking out every I single just... time. There's like a giant. So there's one store that they all shop from and it just says store in on the giant, outside. Like in block, giant, like lowercase, in lowercase black <laughs> letters. Stores. Just store. <laughs> <laughs> and they're inside the store. There are cans of soup just labeled tomato soup in like non-serif black there font are no, cans. There are no brands anymore because brands is like how we keep each other down. Brands man. are for barbarians, you know. <laughs> brands are, I don't know. <laughs> uh, they just... Take over people's bodies, I suppose, either suppress or kill the person inside the brain and then just, like, be nice to everyone. Um, so. Yeah, okay, so this is, this is Kyle's big thing about this. So. Okay. The. Right, I'm, I focus on genre things and genre trapping, so I'm looking at the world building. No, that's not what I mean. I'm. Okay. I was like, Kyle got very into the implications of who the aliens are (laughs) and the people that they're, you know, taking over. Because all of the people that are left, at least all the people that we see in this film, are like country folk. So, like, supposedly these are supposed to be my people, even though no one knows how to do their accents properly. Well, they do attempt some southern accents and make them sound like, you know, guest spots on King of the Hill or something. So... (laughs) Uh, uh, William Hurt is doing that, you know, just non-accent of, you know, he's there in a beard and a cowboy hat just talking about growing wheat. Yeah, so we've got William Hurt is Jebediah. And Jeb- oh, his name is Jebediah, right. Yes, um, we've got Scott Lawrence here, the main black character playing a character named Doc. Doc, no other name. Doc, no other no other name. Um, we've got Frances Fisher here in a in a weird gray wig, and she's Maggie. Uh, got the little boy here, Jamie, and oh my god, there's a there's a third. I thought that there were only two like beefcake boys in here, but there's a third one played by Boyd Holbrook. Yes, who plays Kyle? Oh dear. I don't yeah. remember what what was the deal with Kyle. Uh, Kyle. Kyle hated uh, Saoirse Ronan because he could see that she was, you know, 
the host for an alien because her eyes are bright blue and he's the only one who's going, oh, wait, this person will rat us out and bring death upon us. So he, like, just punches her in the face. <laughs> he does. Randomly. He does. Unprovoked. It's good. I, I do What remember. the fuck is up, Kyle? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, okay, the names, Kyle, Maggie, like, Jebediah. These are all, they're all such country names, such white names. And also, um... We talked a little bit about the uh, the love quadrangle, the love trapezoid, essentially. Um, the love trapezoid between the two human characters, Saoirse Ronan's body and Saoirse Ronan's voice inside her head. And so <laughs> Saoirse Ronan is doing two accents. One is supposed to be the neutral alien accent, which apparently aliens don't have. Aliens are supposed to have the most average si- sounding accent ever because... Diane, like, Diane Kruger, like, speaks in this, like, very bland accent the whole way. She speaks way. in a very specialized gen- general American accent. And the then kind. near the end, when she gets her, like, alien taken out of her, she's suddenly German again. Oh, my German God, again. I have kind of, a kind of <laughs> idea of what I've, I was hosted by an alien. So they took away my German accent. Um, but, you know, it's most apparent. But, um, like, Saoirse Rodin is trying to do a Louisiana accent versus this fake alien accent, and they both just sound like her. Yeah, because she's <laughs> Irish. And she just sounds Irish, and it's like, I feel like no one was specific. And I don't know. Like, I feel like Saoirse would have done better work here if she was... I feel like if she had done this role now, she would be better at this accent. But I don't know if it's that she didn't want to... Or if she was just directed badly, but I can't tell the difference between who is talking when she's talking to herself. Yeah, because like it's she says something and then the voice inside her head who's supposed to be like the actual human self that the alien is suppressing uh, is saying, no, don't do that. And so it's like her like talking with her own riff track. It's so <laughs> weird because it, it reminds me the most of like, you know, um, Kyle won't know this because this is after his time, but uh, Lizzie McGuire had like a little cartoon Lizzie McGuire. Who would like some Lizzie McGuire. Who would like comment. Like, it's like that. It's like she's talking to the cartoon version of herself and it's not just the accents. It's the way that they're talking. They just sound like children. Like they don't sound like this is a character that like is like sexually active and shit. And she talks like a 13 year old. Yeah. In my opinion, it's well, weird. For, she talks like a young adult. She talks like a person that an adult would imagine. Uh, she talks like how an adult imagining a kid would sound essentially. That's the problem with all young adult novels in my opinion. Oh really? Yeah. Cause it's all, cause it's always, you know, written by de- just by necessity. It's, when writing for a kid audience, there's always that danger of, you know, you know, not being up with it on being hip. I guess that's might be why so many young adult novels take place in other worlds where you can make up your own slang. Um, but yeah, back to her performance. Um, it just seemed like nobody wanted to commit to a decision on her accent. And so it's half-assed. It's a half-assed American Northern accent for the alien and a half-assed American Southern accent for the human, which um, maybe it's good that they didn't lean into that so much. I mean, I talked about this when we were watching it, but so much of the um, world building of this just feels um, kind of like 
post-Civil War white American millenarianism, like the backwoods survival thing. Like, they're coming here to impose our values on us. Right. It does bother <laughs> me, like, now that Kyle pointed, points it out, that, like, these Southern people are trying to defend their way of life, but they're very, like, not vague about what it is that they're losing. Meanwhile, all of the changes that are being made are generally a net positive for yeah. the world. So what are they what are they fighting for? I mean, I guess they're fighting for the you know individuality and freedom freedom. But, you know, freedom that's a very loaded word in American politics and it contains a lot within it. Freedom to do what? Freedom from what? And I mean, I feel like you can see this in a lot of sci-fi where the invaders are coming in and people are worried about losing their individuality. But I almost feel like maybe we should also have a conversation about like the fact the invaders come and they usually make better use of the world than we do. Yeah. Yeah. But it is, you know, an act of colonization ultimately. And I guess there is that. And there is that fear like in, in alien and invasion fiction, like going back to like the Urtext, War of the Worlds, H.G. Wells, uh, it is that like anxiety about colonial and imperial values, like knowing that, oh, we can make use of their world better than they can. That's an imperialist, colonialist value. And that's true. And in War of the Worlds, um, H.G. Wells' opening narration talks about how, you know, man was master of its world, that meaning that the British Empire was the master of the world, uh, which is then invaded and colonized by intelligences greater than their own. Um, and it's telling that um, the, the people, the aliens coming in and changing the world to fit their way of life all have these very American liberal attitudes towards everything. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. And it's like the, in the representative of the alien is a woman, Diane Kruger, and a black man who I, the character is never named, so I do not know who plays him. Yeah. Funny that. <laughs> um, like, apparently there are three black men in this movie, and like, one of them is played by Bokeem Woodbine, who is an actor that I love and have loved forever, and I cannot remember which character he plays. I remember who he plays. Bokeem Woodbine showed up at the very, very end. Uh, he was one of the uh, other resistance group that they ran into outside of Los Angeles in that scene. Mm. But yeah, he shows up at the very end setting up a sequel that clearly will never happen. Right. Um, as is as is law for these kinds of films, setting up a sequel that will never happen. Well, unless you're... The only ones that got sequels were um, Divergent, Hunger Games, and The Maze Runner. The Maze Runner, the one that I have not seen, apparently like got sequels. <laughs> Many people want to go see The Maze Runner. Yep. I know that the I know famously the last Divergent movie based on the last book was never made. Like it was supposed to be made, and then the last and then the movie before it did so badly that they shelved it. And then they were going to make it a television movie, and then all the people were who were working on it were I guess so offended <laughs> about having to appear in a television movie that they just Kate Winslet isn't going to be in a TV movie. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> so it goes. <sighs> the Maze Runner. The That's, Maze Runner. Those are movies. It's about a kid who runs mazes. I suppose. Mm-hmm. It's about some, yeah. Mm-hmm. <sighs> All these young adult no- novels just seem to run together. It's always some 
future dystopia that one lone kid has to navigate, which I guess makes sense because we are building so many dystopias right now. So we're prepping them for all the futures that we're building for them to die in. So we're following <laughs> Melanie and Wanderer, a.k.a. Wanda, and that's both played right. by Sir Sharon and Wanda. Right, because, like... Jebediah decides that, his, that the name okay, is the, Wanda. Yeah, okay, so the plot is... Uh, the the storyline for Wanderer is that um, this alien has been to many worlds and is getting her first, their first, human body. And um, she just picks the name... Wanderer in this really weird scene where she's lying, like having newly woken up, and she just goes, Call me Wanderer, like it's supposed to be, like profound or something. And then later, when um, the human inside of her, like, tries to take control and leads her to the um, colony of resistance fighters, William Hurt says that Wanderer takes too long to say. And life is short, so he shortens it to Wanda. <laughs> well, that's a nice that's a nice folksy name. It's also yeah, Wanda, a nice Christian name. Yeah. Wanda- Wanderer is a perfectly fine name. <laughs> what what does shortening it to Wanda do other than, it, you know, de alienize it, I suppose. I mean, that's the whole point. <laughs> yeah. You're human now. You're not some alien. You're not some verb. People aren't named verbs. So, Mal- right, Hunter? <laughs> so, Melanie is a member of the resistance, and that's why Wanderer is put inside her. Which is, by like- the way, the resistance is like some cave in Monument Valley where they grow wheat. <laughs> yes, and that's it. That's the resistance. They're gonna grow wheat like. The founding fathers intended, or I don't know. No, it's... it's <laughs> the world it, building is very slight. It's wild. It's wild. Because it's like, I don't know. And I like felt it actually, I don't feel like they do enough with the fact that Melanie is a freedom fighter and now she's been infiltrated. Like, that's horrifying. Like, can you imagine, like, what if you're like a protester for like, you know, anti-racism, and and they just you got implanted like a white nationalist in your head. Yeah, that just takes control of your body and has you do things. Like, yeah, like that's that, like that's actually scary. And I feel like the movie doesn't really get into how fucking scary that is. Yeah, um, like a story series that I read when I was a kid, the Animorph series, very similar uh, setup, but in that the world was in the process of being invaded and so there are some people who were controllers controlled by the aliens and most people were not um and they had you know these long passages about what it's like to be controlled by this alien and um how it takes over your brain and suppresses you and like basically puts you in the sunken place yeah and i and I, honestly the book is way better at describing this and i don't know if like, the director only skimmed the book, but the book spends many, many pages explaining, like, how it feels to have your body taken over by someone else. And, like, the inner struggle is, like, you know, it, it's there's more detail in it. And here it's just, like, two voices arguing with each other. And I almost feel like it's there should one have been vo- a more... It's one voice. It's it's voiceover Sir Ronan arguing with on-camera Sir Ronan. I feel like... There should have there should have been more should have been more of a physical performance. There should have been because there it's just you know 
Saoirse Ronan just staring off into space, I guess being told by the director or someone else off screen what the voiceover line is going to be, and then her reacting to that, and it's it just doesn't work. No, it's really bad. And it, and it doesn't doesn't look visually interesting. Like all the um, all the alien architecture is just you know brutalism or corporate and just white and gray. And then the uh, oh natural my. world is nothing but orange and blue and you know desert. And they probably oh. went in and. Do you want to talk about the chrome? Because <laughs> you were very upset about the chrome. Because okay, so. The way they establish who, like, the alien ruling class are, who, like, the governors of the alien regime are, they have all the aliens dress in solid white, or, like, full suits, but, you know, all white, and all of their vehicles are, for some reason, chrome-plated. All of them. And it's especially weird when they're going through the desert. Yeah, because, like, why... Doesn't that get hot? And like if you're on, they would if, be boiling. Yeah, yeah. And if you're on, if you're on a, think about other passengers. The glare. The, how is this? Why would you go to the, go to the effort when you're colonizing Earth to chrome plate all the vehicles? Why would you bother to paint the store to say store? What? Okay, so. I don't know if Stephanie Meyer was ever that interested in world building. Like, I don't think the Twilight novels were that, you know, well developed in their world building either. Um, And it seems like an afterthought to the actual relationship stuff, which, okay, fine. Okay, so, yeah, the relationship stuff is supposed to be the main stuff in this. And, like, say what you will about the Twilight books and the movies, but they spend a lot of time, like, looking into the implications of everything. The implications of... I mean, a lot. Most of it's the implication of what happens if Edward and Bella have sex, but like, also, what are the implications of being with someone who is so much more powerful than you? There's one thing that I remember in the books that was so interesting, where Bella wanted to drive somewhere, <laughs> and so, and Edward wanted to protect her, so he took the motor out of her car. What? Yeah. <laughs> Do, uh, Okay, this was not in the movies. Edward didn't want her driving somewhere, so he broke her car? Yeah! Like, he would do shit like that all the time in the books. What? <laughs> okay, I, all right, I admit I never so, read the books. I only watched the movies, so which are... She couldn't drive the car. He took the entire engine out. Yes! <laughs> like, you could, like... Okay. Shit, okay, like- first of all, it's fucked up that he doesn't want her to drive anywhere, and he's controlling that, but... <laughs> Um, <laughs> I've been thinking about that Like I first read that Like this is a book that I read in high school And sometimes I'll like wake up in the middle of the night And think about Edward taking the engine out of her car Because <laughs> it's so crazy I, Okay now I wish that happened in the movie Like you know So Chris and Stewart goes down to the garage Like oh, I gotta go out somewhere I got some, And then the car is just like in pieces Like disassembled Like a Lego set And then <laughs> And then Edward's just standing over there, and Robert Pattinson is forced to deliver the line, I don't want you going anywhere, so I took apart the car. That's like, yeah, like, so much of it, like, they they get into how fucking weird that relationship is. Like, people are just like, it's glamorizing. It's like, no, the books are aware of how fucking weird this is. Hmm. Um, but this, I almost feel like this movie in the book either aren't really as aware of how fucking weird this is because like, 
Okay, so Melanie, which one is Melanie in uh, Love Melanie Boat? is the human wanderer, wanderer. No, 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 no. Melanie, I was trying to figure out which of the white men she was in love oh, with. Oh, okay. okay. So, okay, her boyfriend is Jared, and Jared is Max Iron. So that's the. I- okay, so. She loves him. I think she was like getting ready to have sex with him, like right before. Because yeah, because there's like, like a flashback about like he's just like, "Are you sure?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm ready." Yeah, they're in like a Terrence Malick movie with like a huge field, and like they're near a trailer, and it's soft focus and all that stuff. Uh, yes, that's the that's the human that she fell in love with before she was hosted. Right, and so like. Melanie wants so much to be with uh, Jared and then like wander by virtue of being in the body also starts to like have sexual feelings. But it's like, it, it's, I'm, you humans I'm, have I'm, this ex- emotion I'm in a called body, love. I'm in a body that wants you. So I want you. It's, I'm in a body that wants you. Like, it's such a weird thing because like Wander is supposed to be take takes control of Melanie's body, but then Melanie still controls the sex organ. Um, <laughs> Melanie still controls the vagina. <laughs> it's like I've got your brain, but you keep the vagina. <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah. What's what? Implications, yes. Yeah, the implications. Um, I'm trying to figure out which of the other. Okay, what's the other? Which is what's the other white boy that's involved is here? It Ian? I don't. I mm, can we call him Ted? Just I don't know. For, for a placeholder. <laughs> a Ted. I just keep on. Okay. Um. F- wait. Wander begins interacting. Yeah, it is. It is Ian. Ian. Okay. okay Ian. Jared and Ian. Yeah, which is that's yeah. Okay, so Ian is the one that Wanda wants, but because the body wants Jared whenever they're together, it's like the body won't let... It's like it's like <laughs> Melanie won't let Wander get laid. It's like, if I'm not getting laid, neither one of us has. Yeah, like there are scenes of them making out, and then the voice in her head just goes, nope, no, you don't. I don't allow this. I don't allow this. It's like... It's just this voiceover yelling at how the scene is going. <laughs> yeah, it feels like, like a comment, like a director's like, commentary. Like, yeah, you mentioned that it was like riff tracks, and it is. <laughs> it's, it's like a riff I just kept expecting to hear like Bill Corbett, Kevin Murphy, and Mike Nelson's voice to chime in at any second. Because like it, it just doesn't work. Because I, I get that. I could understand this being an interesting, like, sci-fi metaphor for, like, repression, like, sexual repression. Which I think that's what it's trying yeah, to do. Yeah, and I, I get that. But, but, in Andrew Nichols' direction, it is an actress um, not committing to a scene fully and then ex- just having an argument with the voiceover that she will dub in later. Which, how the fuck do you act that? I feel... Like we're giving him too much credit. We're we're giving the director too much credit and like calling him a director. Oh, um, oh because oh. I don't know if this film is directed. Like it just looks like there are points of it that just look like Legend of the Hidden Temple and shit. It just looks like people just like running around a set. Yeah, and then eventually the scene changes. <laughs> yeah, it's just movie just kind of like plods and. 
this is very workman like it's very you know rushed down on a weekend it's got no all right style. guys let's uh we got to set like out in arizona let's drive out there for the weekend set up camp we'll do some scenes whatever <clears throat> got printed cash a check like the film rights were acquired in 2009 so they've had plenty of time to like develop this yeah they probably i don't know that might be one of those things where, like, they get the rights early so no one else can, and then they sit on it for a while until it becomes marketable, uh, which it did become once Stephanie Meyer became a big name, once the Twilight movies became big. And so um, they just had intellectual property that they were sitting on that they th- thought they could adapt quickly, which I guess is how they usually operate. That's Hollywood. So what is the plot of this movie? Uh, The plot of the movie is a woman is uh, taken over by a sparkly brain slug, uh, a sparkly little ball of um, lens flare that goes into her brain and tries to get her to give up the last remaining humans for the new white-clad, chrome-plated world order. And Melanie has a little brother, Jamie, that she wants to protect, and and Jared, um, you know, her love. And apparently Jebediah is her uncle, which I did. Which I oh, didn't. they were they were related. I they had no idea. They were related. Okay, well, that explains. <laughs> yeah, and William Hurt is, you know, here. Um, William Hurt is always here. Just, He's always just there, isn't just he? Just very... Mm. You remember... I'm trying to think of another William Hurt sci-fi movie, and the only other one I can think of is Lost in Space, another great motion picture. <laughs> Remember that scene where he goes, I love you, wife? <laughs> I'll never forget I it. I love you, wife. He was in the Marvel movies as General Who Gives a Shit. Oh, yeah, he was, I think, doing um, whatever it is yeah, that he, he was does. Be- he was being a, being a general. I guess he... <sighs> I'm sure he's a nice guy. Clearly, he must be nice to work with because he keeps getting work. But it's just he just shows up and is grizzled and then leaves in so many movies that I've seen him in. He's just tall. Like, he's just (laughs) He's just tall. He's just tall. Like, the most work I've seen him do is in Body Heat. But in most movies, he's just... And that was the 80s. Yeah. it's In most movies, he's just... Does he do a lot of work in altered states? Like, does he... (laughs) Uh, Yes. In altered states, he gets so high, he becomes a monkey. Right. But, like, does he... Like, how is his performance? Um... He's very nonplussed by turning into a monkey. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so I think most of the acting in that in altered states is done by I think it's Bob Balaban who's like the sidekick, the sidekick scientist who says you can't do this; it's all toll on your body and all that stuff. I've still never seen that. It's wild. It is very absolutely watch it. I would love to talk about altered states on this podcast and not the host because there's so little to say about the host. Yeah, I'm trying to see because most of it is Diane Kruger, the alien inside her is Seeker. And so a lot of it's just like cat and right. mouse. Seeker, like Seeker Wanderer. Seek, okay. Seeker is trying to find Wanderer and trying to, you know, get the rest of the humans, um, you know, not killed, but like, you know, put some. Assimilated. Put some, yeah. Assimilate. Essentially. And so it's just, there's just a lot of like, oh, this is hard. And then, oh, Kyle tries to kill Wanderer. Yeah. 
Okay, can we talk about how the aliens are named Seeker and Wanderer? Uh, sure. I mean, I don't know. It just it's, strikes I mean, me as... And a lazy sci-fi world building gets me. Yeah, it reminds me of The Giver. It's like it's like Stephanie Meyer read The Giver and was just like, okay, well, okay, well, like with like The Giver, but like those those names, like the different titles mean something. Whereas here, it's like, okay, one's a wanderer, one's a seeker. But like, what happens when seeker is no longer seeking? Is she still seeker? Is she gonna go seek other things? Is like, she gonna get a new is name? Is that all she can do? <laughs> what if one, are there aliens designated? Is what there if, one, is there an alien called sanitation worker? What if wanderers said settles down does her name change like <laughs> settler um <laughs> uh, but yeah back to the giver in the giver it makes sense for that world because like in that society everything is constricted emotions are suppressed knowledge is um withheld and everything is reduced to you know its simplest form oh okay here we see okay i'm reading plot details because i'm trying to figure out what's going on because we watched this movie but like the movie didn't tell us anything um doc is the one that figured out way is trying to figure out a way to remove souls from hosts. The so, aliens are called souls. Yes. yes. <laughs> the aliens are called souls. Okay. Um, then Jamie gets sick and then she goes to a soul medical facility to steal alien medicine. Oh, I and all the medicine is free, by the way. She just walks in and, like, asks for stuff. and uh, Oh, yeah, that's, like, that's the other thing about these aliens. If you ask them for something, they just very politely give it to you. Like, Wanderer's just, like, walks up to this guy. It's like, can I borrow your vehicle? And he's like, sure. There's, oh, like, yes, the keys are in the It's a very yeah. reliable model. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just like, oh. How did you do that? We all trust each other. It's a utopia. You know? <laughs> so what? what is the downside? I would, I welcome the, the alien... Boring hosts. I want to be a host for an alien. Please just take over my body and turn my eyes blue. Okay, so then finally, uh, they they capture they capture Seeker and they remove Seeker's soul, and then Seeker's like German again and like very happy. And then eventually, they <laughs> they remove Wanderer from the soul, and then Wanderer is Emily Browning, and she gets to <laughs> she gets to fuck the other guy that's like not Max Irons, and oh, then <laughs> she then so okay, she gets so to she, fuck Max Irons. <laughs> oh right, so um, so they solve yeah, that's how they solve the love trapezoid by splitting Wanderer and Melody by taking the soul the alien out of the human body and putting it in surprise it's emily browning um playing yet another lobotomized heroine this and sucker punch um uh, yeah uh, not i'm not lobotomized wrong word but um she's like she was like typecast as like people at the whims of men creepy men and creepy I don't know. Emily Browning, um, an, yeah. an actress who, like, I mean, she she still works, of course, but I always thought that she was going to be a bigger deal. Yeah. 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 I guess they thought this movie would be a bigger deal. Like they wanted Oh, to, totally. Because then it would have been like a Saoirse and Emily Browning together. In the sequel. In the, in the sequel. sequel. Yeah. Uh, when they... When they meet the other group of um, of survivors and go off into the sunset to uh, set up the sequel to an Imagine Dragons song over the credits. Mm. Oh, yeah. Radioactive, radioactive. Has, has Imagine Dragons ever written something that wasn't for a trailer? 
They make Are trains. they an actual band or are they just like people on like on call for, you know, trailer music? No, yeah, I don't I don't know if they're real people. Mm. So the host. So, so that was the host. That was the host. <laughs> that was the host. Um a love quadrangle between a lady, the uh voice in her head, and two dudes. Two dudes who look exactly the same to me. And Kyle. Like there was a time when like Kyle, Ian, and Jamie were all in a scene, and I was just like, I can't tell the difference between any of these white people. Yeah, none of them. <sighs> I gotta say, none of them are really distinctive. No one's distinctive. No. No one has a character. No, no. one has. I mean, it no doesn't one has help. any personality. Like the most, it, I'm most interested in Doc, and that, and I'm, and I'm just saying, because he's the black one. Like I was like, how's Doc doing? Yeah. Is he alone? <laughs> Does he have anyone to talk to? I mean. He has, what does he have to say with these yokels? What's, what's his What's his birth name? Um, uh, yeah. has, he, has he ever had to deal with racism? Did he have to teach all of these other white people not to be racist? What's his arc? Yes. Um, Is there very a very slight movie? Very minimalist movie. Very underthought film. Is there a good version of this? Um, the Animorphs TV show. Yeah. It's all in your hands. <laughs> you ever watch that? Yeah. They have like the same like five pre-rendered uh, morph animations that they could play in between I scenes. I loved that show. Like I was so mad that there weren't more seasons because like, you know, if there were more seasons, they could have like they could have upgraded, you know, the stuff. I feel like Nickelodeon just didn't. Nickelodeon could have been a channel that had sci-fi shows because it had that and it also had the journey of Alan Strange and Alex Mack. And it was just like you had all these sci-fi shows and then you didn't give them enough seasons to really. Anyway, we're talking about Nickelodeon. But then again, you know, special effects are expensive and animation is much cheaper. True, and true, true. I can imagine Animorphs being an animated TV show and having it go Ooh. for a while. But they did not. But they did not do that. They wanted to do it with, you know, live actors, with actual teenagers, and 90s CGI, unfortunately. Which is why it's a beautiful time capsule. Yes. Um, But yeah, The Host. The Host. Don't watch it. Uh, Or better yet, watch uh, Bong Joon-ho's The Host. It's an excellent monster movie, a wonderful example (laughs) of how you... Watch the other host. Watch the other host. Watch the better host, the host that people know, not this one. Mm. (sighs) Um, So our theme song is done by Clutch Douglas. You can listen to them on Bandcamp. You can listen to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. You can go on iTunes and give us a five star review, which you should. Um, trying to think what else we're on Twitter. We're going to have some more bonus episodes for you soon. And we, Oh, and, um, for all of September, we're going to be doing requests. So, uh, stuff that stuff that's already been requested. So if you have requested a film, I mean, we're, I mean, I like we can probably only do four this month because, you know, that's that's how weeks work. But yes. we're going to try to get <laughs> some d- requests out of the way. Time is unfortunately linear. D- um, it is. It yes. is. Um, so, yep. That's what you have to look forward to. Remember to wear a mask and wash your hands. I'm Jordan Searles. Call me podcaster. Bye. 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 Uh, yeah.
Secret spot. 